Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James with 360 Learning, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. In this episode, I'm speaking with Michelle Perry Slater about her book, The L&D Handbook. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others to find us, and thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. Michelle, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you so much for having me on, David. It's great to be here. Now, your book, The Learning and Development Handbook, was published by Kogan Page in 2021. We're going to be discussing what's happened subsequently. But before we do, could you let the listener know the purpose of the book and why you felt compelled to write it? Absolutely. I was writing it for myself. I was writing it for that sort of um, learning and development professional who is in their organisation by themselves. Where do they get the inspiration and and how do they kind of try out new ideas and, and that kind of thing? So that was me years ago. I used to uh, be a global head of learning for quite a long time and, you know, joining podcasts, building myself a personal network um, to get that inspo from other people it really felt like I wanted to share my journey in order to help others feel that they could go on their journey um, and and expand their thinking, just try new stuff. I want to just make sure people had the opportunity to think, oh yeah, it's a good idea. I could try that. Just that little tweak. And then building up lots of changes, lots of tweaks, we end up with, um, you know, a lot more success in our work. Hopefully that's the plan of the book. (laughs) And so, so could you give us an overview uh, of it and, uh, and, and what the reader could expect uh, from uh, from buying a copy. Yes, so a lot of people are a bit surprised when they read it because they expect, it's called the Learning and Development Handbook, they expect to see start at A and then move to Z. It mm. isn't like that at all. The first eight chapters are really around encouraging people to explore their own organisation, really, really get to know their context, their stakeholders, the strategy of their organisation, the language of the business that they work in. And then moving into starting to think about, well, what would that look like for uh, learning solutions? Um, And the reason I've written it that way is often in L&D, we jump into learning solutions Mm -hmm. and actually we haven't got the evidence behind us. We're not really sure. And then we we might create the best ever program in the world and it never land. Mm -hmm. And it was probably destined never to land well in our organisations if we haven't got clear need for it and so on and so forth. So um, it isn't a step by step guide. It is an encouragement to try new things it is an encouragement with a lot of lists a lot of questions a lot of reflection so each chapter has a a very clear structure it starts with the short read and that's really a sort of blog like length because people are busy hey people have got too much to do so um, I I didn't want to be so rude as to assume they'd start at the beginning and finish at the end that's not what it's about at all so the opportunity is there's 14 chapters 14 short reads you could get through the book in a couple of hours in an evening if you wanted to on the train on the way home or a big trip up London to Manchester and the idea behind that is you know people are busy and and if you're inspired or want to know more there's the long read in each chapter as well which goes into a lot more depth around my thinking and around thinking of the industry the evidence around why we should be doing you know for example stakeholder engagement and then we head into a case study so every chapter's got a case study 
And behind that case study, I give a few of my thoughts, but I also encourage you to have your own thoughts. Um, it's great to hear stories, but only if we can get those stories back to our own context mm. all the time. I'm constantly encouraging, what would that look like for you? What does that sound like in your organisation? And then I head into uh, a few of the, uh, the lists, which I'll encourage readers to uh, have a look at themselves and, and learn a little bit more about. But the reason I wrote it like that, David, is because, like I say, people are busy. It's a mm. handbook. It's a dip in and out type of thing. It's oh, yeah, I'm going to go and have a conversation with Johnny about that. You know, what does Michelle think about that? What questions could I ask in that conversation with Johnny? Have a quick flick through. And so I certainly don't expect anyone to start at the beginning and finish at the end. Uh, you know, got those first eight chapters, thinking about your sort of strategy, your stakeholders, and then the middle I've uh, offered a few frameworks, uh, deliberately called frameworks. They're things for people to hang their hat upon. They're not actually things for people to go, right, start at the beginning, finish at the end. Not that at all. You won't be surprised to hear. Um, the idea behind the frameworks is just to give people some structure to uh, the way that they might want to approach uh, L&D. And then the latter end of the book is really strategies to make all of those things that we've talked about in the earlier part of the book come to life and work. Um, particularly finishing with the end, hold it lightly and celebrate success, which is something I think in L&D we, we don't do it enough. Yeah. We don't celebrate our achievements. We we move on to the next project. Um, and this really is all wrapped up in, you know, are we evaluating the work that we're doing well? Um, are we realising that uh, even perhaps a small win is still a win? Mm. Uh, you know, it's not any excuse to get the, the Prosecco or the Champagne out, but it's <laughs> certainly a good reason to say, yeah, that worked. And that worked because, or that didn't work. Yeah. And why? Why didn't that work? So that's kind of the book in a nutshell, really. A dip in and out, uh, encouraging, try stuff, new stuff sort of approach. Now, now we, of course, you know, learning and development seeing seismic shifts in the way um, that that it operates, and you know, we as humans, uh, we live and work, uh, and clearly these have affected the role and activities of L and D over the last three years. So how have these enhanced and hastened the key themes you covered in the book? So I wrote a lot in the book about value. Mm -hmm. And um, and this is why we didn't start with learning solutions, because I don't think L&D offer great value in learning solutions alone. They offer great value in really embedding and understanding learning within their organization. So what is the culture of learning within your organization? What environments are you setting up for people to learn in in your organization? You know, are permissions in place for people to learn? Do people have learning conversations? And of course, over the last three years, what we've seen is that. Um, you know, people have been able to move very quickly because they've had to. And so there's no going back now. There's no excuses. Oh, that won't work around here. You know, that's not how we do things around here, because we've all had the opportunity to demonstrate, to realize that we can shift and we can shift quickly. We can change our value. Um, we can move towards something that's more uh, pertinent. I'm a huge, huge believer in live online learning. It's my absolute favorite medium. And uh, I have to say thank you, COVID, because COVID's really helped move that story forward where people were, that will never work for us. We can't possibly not be together in a classroom when actually now they're going, oh, do we really have to be in a classroom? Mm. Um, I mean, I'm saying that sometimes people have now realized that getting humans together physically does work. And I agree it does. 
but I advocate for it being what it is, which is largely networking. It's largely about the sense-making piece, but the knowledge transfer, you know, that can be done in a, in a digital way. And so I think the blend is really one of the, the biggest shifts that's, that's not going to go away um, as a result. And I'm, I'm really happy about that. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, anybody listening uh, to more than one episode of uh, of this will realise that uh, that I'm no I'm no big fan of uh, of the classroom as uh, as the crutch as the as the as the the first step in a learning solution, uh, just because it's it's expected by stakeholders um, rather than because it would work. And I think that that too often in learning and development we get seduced by learning's mode du jour, the latest fad in content delivery. What's the latest thing? that's going to uh, address uh, learning and development's notoriously poor engagement problem, especially when it comes to, to digital. Um, but uh, but I think that, that a lot of the time we um, we get lost in that because we're, we're chasing engagement when really we should always be just chasing doing stuff that works. Um, you know, in my experience, that, uh, that that you can have to to your point earlier, you could develop the best learning program, the best piece of e-learning, um, and no one use it because it doesn't address any problems or address the context in which people are expected to perform. And then I suppose we could even challenge the the best element of that. Uh, you you as much as I have probably been shown uh, some uh, a piece of e-learning that uh, that somebody's particularly proud of. Um, that you take a look and think I can't see how that could help anybody's job um you know it you know it, it looks uh, uh theoretically sound but uh, but doesn't actually speak to to anyone's role so i wonder uh how do you assess where we are right now on the practical steps l and d needs to make to rise above the noise of the next mode du jour um looking at you metaverse um and do digital stuff that actually works this is exactly why I started the book, not with learning <laughs> solutions, because we need to dig through, you know, mm. what are your stakeholders interested in? What are the problems, you know, and if we're asking the wrong questions, if we're asking what do you need to learn, it's a really hard question for anybody mm. to answer. Whereas actually, if you ask the question, you know, what are the barriers to success in your department, in your work? Yeah. People could talk about that till the cows come home, you know, so that's where we need to dig. We need to actually gather the evidence within our organisation as to what they need and stop asking the wrong questions. So like I say, you know, we start with who are our stakeholders. And a lot of the time we think our stakeholders are our seniors. They're not. Mm -hmm. they, they don't really always have the answers either. Whereas if you go to the sort of, you know, the factory floor, what's not working here? What, what would help you? That's where we need to, to start creating the best ever e-learning. And mm. some of the solutions that I've seen that really work well and, and you know, included case studies in, in the book are really when people dig and they dig into what's going on here, what is wrong, and then they solve that problem. I'm always drawn back into thinking about that. The, um, the Channel 4 story that Actin have shared in the book, which is really around, um, you know, anti-bribery and corruption. Now, Channel 4 were legally compliant, ticked all the boxes, did the e-learning. But what they recognised is, you know, people didn't really buy into it. People didn't really understand or believe. And so they created a TV show type approach of e-learning and it looked and felt like them. Now, as soon as it looks and feels like, you know, a bit sweary, a bit edgy, then of course, people are going to engage with that because that's what they're doing in their day jobs every day, creating programs that are you know, a bit edgy, a bit sweary, a bit, a bit naughty and all the rest of it. So that's realistically where you match learning and culture. Yeah. And 
really creates something that is of value it's not the mode de jour at all is it it's no. you know it's what do you need for your organization to be successful and yes like you say if we just keep chasing the rainbows we're never actually going to find the pot of gold are we no, no, that's right. I remember some work I did with uh, with Adam Harwood when he was at ASOS many years ago. And, uh, and in a way to increase digital adoption or digital learning adoption there, um, we had to, to rethink how, how it was going to be framed. And so we went straight to the um, financial results of, uh, of ASOS to see what the languages that they were using. And so they talked about friction-free consumer experiences. And so that's when we landed on, well, we need to create friction-free employee experiences. Yeah. And what the way you do that is you knit it together with timely, highly contextual digital resources that help people to do what it is that they're trying to do better, which is exactly what ASOS was attempting to do with uh, with online um, uh, fashion retail. So so again, you know, it's, it sounds similar to, to what you've described with, uh, with Channel 4. It is exactly that, because what you're doing there is you're playing into the language of the business. And so people want to talk about stuff that is their business. They don't want to talk about learning. No one's really interested in learning except the L&D people. That's Sorry right. to this point. I'm sure your listeners have heard this before. <laughs> but, you know, we care so passionately about it, but they care passionately about whatever that is for your business. So you've got to be careful, though. Once worked with a um, with a confectioner, I won't name them because of this story I'm about to tell. But um, they were a fantastic confectioner and uh, my kids loved me working there, especially over the Christmas period. It was great. <laughs> and the reason I wanted to mention it is because their, their purpose, if you like, was about making people feel special. And that was their customer purpose. And they wanted that internally and they did that internally. And it meant that actually their culture was really soft. Everybody was just expecting stuff to come to them. So from an L&D perspective, they had a really great platform. They had fantastic content and nobody ever engaged with it because it wasn't literally on their desk like, you know, the bar of chocolate might be because everyone deserves a bar of chocolate on a Friday. Here's a bar of chocolate on your desk. Um, and so you've got to be careful that you still have a little bit of friction that you still have things that are a little bit uncomfortable because learning happens there mm. learning doesn't always happen when it's just kind and soft and nice um you know we need to push people a little bit out of their comfort zones mm. in order for them to sort of you know really realize the learning which is why i like hanging around with where are the barriers yeah. so if, you, if they're taking you to their barriers this is where i have my problem this is why i can't succeed this is why i can't progress mm. um, and, and that barrier might well be working alongside another department or uh, you know the the production rate of manufacturer is slower than i can sell it that kind mm. of thing is this a learning problem not always not yeah. always so we we have to be a little bit careful about what we do get involved in but when it is a learning problem, we're really going to be helping and there's value to be added. And we can demonstrate how much help we've provided, you know, the evaluation of that type of, you know, we're solving your problems, we're helping you get over this hurdle. Everyone will then realise the value that we can bring as opposed to here, have some fantastic e-learning. Yeah. It's really great. It's the best thing. It's won an award. What for? Because mm. it looks pretty, you know, all of that stuff just doesn't count. It's not yeah. relevant. I heard uh, Sebastian Tindall on Michelle Ocker's uh, Learning Uncut podcast quite recently. Uh, he was talking about digital adoption platforms, but within it, he said that uh, um, so so they're performance oriented. The digital adoption platform, working over the the systems they use for the work, guide and support people on um, known hotspots, the things that that catch people out, and you know that they need guidance and and help on. And he said that uh, that. Um, 
when he was talking about the format, he said that more often than not now, they just use text. They've tried high production video, uh, but when but when you are addressing actual pain points, people that you know, and they are and they are very specific and highly contextual. They could be laser focused, super short. And he said text works better than anything else. Um, I always find that the the wizziest e learning tries to solve assumed problems and therefore needs to engage people through a journey because they don't see the value themselves. It's almost like um, giving them a, a, a pan and telling them to, to mine for gold in San Francisco today. Like, you know, you go, well, I mean, there's not a lot of gold there. And, and the thing is, when employees don't actually engage in, uh, in learning content, it's usually because they know that it's highly unlikely that they're going to get anything useful from it. As I said, mining for gold in San Francisco today. But what, what, what Sebastian talks about is if you gain the evidence of the people that you're seeking to influence, then you can be laser focused on the context in which they're not able to perform. And then they don't want something with you that takes them away from the work for a long period of time. They want something that helps them to do the thing that they're expected to do so that they can get the benefits of doing something well. It's almost like a, I, I always describe it that uh, when we're talking about learning and, uh, and there are so many um uh, absurd um uh, things that described in the learning and development profession and, and one of the, the absurdities i think is that that learning needs to be fun anybody who's ever learned to play a musical instrument or a, a foreign language like when you actually have to do so so you so your learning is for the performance then you realize it's really really hard and the only really enjoyable part is practicing with fluency afterwards. It's actually doing the thing. But all this nonsense around creating fun learning, like to your point before about friction, you know, people will perform differently when faced with a challenge, when unfamiliar uh, challenge, that they that that I suppose the 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 benefit to them of actually learning to do that well is yeah. the reward in itself. And so often, and you can see it on, on LinkedIn today. The, the 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 number one and number two reasons that people want to engage in learning at work now is to is for money because times are really tough and to improve their prospects. All the fluffy stuff seems to have sifted down to the bottom. We've had this 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 re-engineering of uh, of the of the workplace where what's most important has risen to the top. What, what <laughs> that with you. What you're saying there, David, is is so true. It's about what is the right learning solution for the times, for the issue, and so on and so forth. One of the things that I think is really underutilized, and I demonstrate and use in the book, is checklists. Yeah. People just want to know how do I do the thing. Yeah. I don't need to, you know, don't don't show me a video, make me watch the video, then take my own notes to know how to do the thing. I've recently switched over from um, Android over to Apple and from Windows and Microsoft over to Apple products. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> no, trying to learn how to use this MacBook Pro. I'm like, yeah, that was a bit of an expensive mistake, potentially. But what I've had to do is just forget everything I know about all the shortcuts on, on a, a laptop and relearn new information. Yeah. And what do I, I want to, I want someone to just give me a list of, right, you know, press command and three and, you know, that's how you do a screenshot or whatever, because it's just new stuff that I need to learn. I don't, I don't want to watch a video on it and then have yeah. to take my notes. I just want that kind of checklist. And how I've ended up doing it is going out to the network and going, right, you Apple geeks, there's loads of you out there. Help me. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the list. Find the information. And the stuff that I did really naturally and had done for decades mm -hmm. on a laptop 
I just need to learn new stuff. So it is absolutely, why am I doing it? What's the barrier? What, what's the issue that I'm trying to solve here? And like so when you play into that, people will engage. That's right. When you're actually, you know, not playing into something that's a problem. Now, this does cause us as a profession a challenge because a lot of what we do in our profession is the mandatory stuff. Mm-hmm. We have to do it. You know, it's the compliance, it's the health and safety, it's the anti-bribery and corruption. Mm-hmm. I do get frustrated when people think, oh, well, I have to do it like this because, no, you don't. You can actually make it engaging. You can help people realize the reason we do anti-bribery and corruption training is, you know, these are the consequences. And I think that that's part of the problem that we don't link our learning close enough to the work. And even when it comes to compliance, there's a reason we're not doing it simply because the law says we have to. The law says we have to because of a reason. You know, somebody will get hurt, die, get sick, whatever, you know. And so linking it to those real life events, um, you know, the pain of learning how to use your Apple Mac computer. (laughs) (laughs) The the compliance thing has always always got me. Uh, Usually compliance or regulation is created because of a gritty, real and really interesting situation and learning and development has found a way of sanitizing it with scenarios and making it dull and boring and teaching you about the law uh, rather than the the messy gritty real situation uh, that got us here in the first place and some of the best stuff I've ever seen is rich in the context of where people work and said this is the job you do this is where the work applies and this is what you need to do so it's actually aimed at affecting their judgment and not trying to teach them the law uh, yeah. I always find that, uh, that but, but I, again, I, so I, I put, I'm quite generous to learning and development here because quite often they're stuck between the legal team and the compliance team. Uh, and then the, the, the misinterpretation is that the, the, the employee needs to learn the law where really they need to have their, their judgment enhanced. I, I think what they actually need to do is they need to feel it. Yeah, when we right. feel it, then we remember it. I mm. will never forget being in VR and burning the place down because I yeah. picked up the wrong fire extinguisher and I extinguished it with, you know, this, there was a, a fake fire in VR and all the rest of it. You mentioned metaverse earlier, you know, it could be just a fancy thing to do, but if it helps people to feel it, mm. one of the best things I've ever seen is a branched video on um, CPR. Yeah. So you have to choose what would you do, and the the, the dude dies. You know, yeah. if, you t- if you pick the wrong scenario there, that you know, and you feel it. Yeah. And so that for me is when you talk about compliance. If you actually really relate that to the work, mm. and like you say, tell those gritty stories, make people feel uncomfortable. If we sanitize it, we're not pushing people out of their comfort zone That's enough, right. and therefore they're just like, oh, God, this is so dull. Click next, click next. Quiz at the end. What are the answers? Ask the person sitting next to you. Got ten out of ten. I'm compliant. Tick. Yeah. irrelevant a waste of everybody's time <laughs> i couldn't agree more now go back to your uh, your book uh, michelle um the frameworks have one thing in common they all require lnd to interact and collaborate with other departments can you tell us a little more about why that's the case and does that collaboration throw up challenges or opportunities I suppose I should explain a little bit about this. There's, there's three frameworks in the middle and um, there, there's one of them, which is the three R's. So the R's there are, are what is required in learning uh, and then what resources can we add and then what can be referred in. Um, you could also add a fourth R, if you like, reflection. And the whole idea about that framework is that uh, sometimes we have to do stuff, the compliance stuff. You know, it's in the boxes. We've got to just 
send the boxes out to everybody. But the reality is that is not where people learn. It's not where they make sense of stuff. Um, and so we need to also be aware of what are the resources that are around people. Now for l and we could provide some of those or we could encourage others to provide them. And then that is where we get that referral in. If we only enable that referred in learning, so this is, you know, asking Mabel next to you, how do I do this thing? You're only ever as good as Mabel and what she knows. Um, actually, we need to kind of embrace all three of those areas. Now, the opportunity there is we move away from the formal and we embrace social and digital learning in a different way. So I think there's a huge opportunity. Of course, the, the challenge in that is well, how do we do that? And uh, what happens if, you know, Mabel thinks that she's got all the answers and she wants to be included in the conversation? And, you know, how do we include the best experts in your organisation? So there are opportunities and challenges in all of these different areas. I mean, another of the frameworks, the the, um, the ICE framework, the information, communication and education. So we're, what our remit is the education piece. What can we teach? But uh, internal comms has got a role there. Sometimes information, which let's face it, L&D don't own the information. Mm -hmm. The information is owned within the organization. So if your CEO wants to, I don't know, change strategy, that is not our information to own, but it is our information to educate. How does that impact on the rest of the organization? Internal comms will have a role. We've, we've got to work symbiotically. We can't be teaching one thing and they're saying another thing. And so there are two pillars, really, that I think uphold information in an organization. And it can create huge amounts of friction within an organization. If you're being told one thing and then you're, you know, trying to teach another. Um, and so I think we've got to work in harmony together. And all of this points to the third framework, which is environment, permission and culture, mm. which is areas that I think in L&D we don't address enough in order to ensure that we get a true learning culture. And I'm not talking about a surface kind of oh yeah sure we send people out on courses every year I'm talking about you know in team meetings we talk about what we learned from work, working with that customer or you know what did we learn this week or we we have peer networks we have communities of practice this is what I'm talking about in terms of a true learning culture but in order to get there we need to think about what environment are we putting people in in order to learn and I don't just mean physical environment but online environment you know do they have desktop computers and a blackberry when in their house they have a smartphone and a laptop you know are we setting people up with the right physical environment the right the right hardware the right software to be able to move remove all these barriers that we've been mentioning earlier on in the uh, in our conversation and part of the challenge is yeah great give everyone a, a smartphone but do you also then give them the express permission on how they're supposed to be using that smartphone for work um, and it might sound ridiculous in 2022 that we need to talk about permission we need to actually say you are allowed you are encouraged to you know access your lms from your smartphone at a time that you need that learning and um, because sometimes it can be difficult especially if you're quite junior or new in you know how does it work around here are we allowed to watch youtube videos oh i'm just gonna like you know do that under the table kind of thing because you know there is still that history of websites being banned in organizations and how are people allowed to learn in work because let's face it David, they have these skills. They have these skills at home. You know, nobody is is asking permission to go on YouTube to learn how to, you know, mention playing a musical instrument. Mm. Everyone's using apps and, uh, you know, digital music and whatever in order to get better at their craft. And they're doing that because they're motivated to do that. 
and they're coming into work going, mm, am I allowed to do that? Am I allowed to actually uh, look on a video? So I really do believe that we need to be really explicit about our expectations and about the organization's expectations around learning and development and how that feeds into the culture. Now, this is where you end up with friction. I've mentioned this word a few times today and what's come out of the back of the book is it's been out for a couple of years now and the stories I'm hearing and, you know, Michelle, I really like your ideas about make better cake. And I've tried to do these little tiny trials that you're recommending, but I'm coming up against some barriers. And, and this is where I'm now kind of spending more of my time heading towards perhaps an article, perhaps another book. I don't know, but I'm going to explore it over the course of 2023 about how do you ease this friction because at the end of the day life especially at the moment it's quite hard mm. it's quite tough people are feeling the weight of the world I mean there are huge huge world events occurring and people are struggling generally so work needs to not be another barrier another difficult thing in our lives and I'm finding that people are saying you know we'd really love to try some of the ideas, but these are the challenges. And so I'm exploring, well, how can we put ease into the workplace? How can we put ease into L&D in that context um, of that particular you know, set of circumstances? So yeah, starting to really investigate friction, how it works, how it doesn't work, how it's useful. We don't need to take it all away. Like I said earlier, we need to push out the comfort zone, but at the same time, we just need to make sure that people can try some of the ideas that have been suggested. Yeah. So, so saying all that, uh, Michelle, is this a good time to be in L&D? Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I actually think in an economic downturn, it is the best time to be in an L&D. Now, what happens a lot of the time is they go, oh, they look down, you know, the, 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 the finance guys are looking down the spreadsheet going, oh, where can we cut some budget? Where can we cut some money? And often it's our heads on the chopping block. Yeah. And this is because we can't prove value because we That's don't right. prove value don't add enough you know they think oh well that's a nice to have not a need to have mm -hmm. um, the challenge you have there is that actually we are fundamental in an economic downturn because what you need in an economic downturn you need innovation you need to stay ahead of your competition mm -hmm. you need to be um, creative in your thinking in order to stay competitive in order to get more out of less in terms of finances and so on and so forth and if you are not investing and developing your people, if you're not keeping their motivation and their creativity high, if you're not encouraging them, you know, with the permission to innovate, to trial, to practice, to fail and fail fast and learn from that failure, then actually I genuinely believe that you're not even standing still in your business. Mm -hmm. You are walking backwards because yeah. everyone else who is developing their people is moving ahead with innovation, with creativity and staying ahead of the competition. So yes, this is a great, great time to be in L&D, but it's also why we have to constantly be talking about the value that we bring. Mm -hmm. It is no good for us to evaluate our learning at the end and go, yeah, brilliant, you know, 300 training hours completed this month. Irrelevant, nobody yeah. cares about that. But go right back to the conversation we were having earlier. If you talk in the language of your business, if you're saying that I've helped these barriers be overcome, we've eased this friction, we've tried this, it didn't work, but this is what we learned, then that's why you're staying in your role in these economic tricky times. Mm, yeah, I completely agree. I think that it's during these times that we have to stay sharp uh, and uh, do more of the stuff that uh, that's intended to make a um, uh, 
desire difference in times of abundance on the other hand i think that that learning and development can get silly um and by by big platforms and huge and bolster curricula that don't really have an intention of uh, of affecting the way the work is done or uh, people's prospects yeah we we get a little bit sloppy don't we because people aren't mm. asking the questions about value they're not asking the questions that you know I'm encouraging people to ask of themselves in in the first eight chapters of my book and mm. um, you know, really getting close to the business really understanding your stakeholders and I think that now is the time more than ever that we need to really be doing that so that we can definitely be proving value yeah completely agree so so Michelle as we look to uh, to wrap things up um so what does L&D need to do in order to 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 do what you've just said here in in developing uh, professional credibility to understand what's truly needs uh, working on in our organizations and to bring our stakeholders at all levels in our organizations with us. It's all about having these better conversations, isn't it? It's all about having a, a better set of questions to ask. So stop asking learning questions and start asking business questions. Mm -hmm. I think more and more I'm seeing that L&D is moving more towards organization development type mindset. Yeah. And what I mean by that is we're looking a bit more holistically. We're not looking just narrowly about learning and what learning can do, but we're understanding the context in which we're working. We're understanding the context of the people that we're working working with we're also understanding the customers the end point if you like of, of our colleagues and who are they working towards and by having that broader more holistic uh, mindset and approach we tend to be then asking more of the right questions in which case we're we're creating things that um you know can really add value and be useful to people as opposed to this kind of worry of nice to have and i say this from a from a perspective of, of reality, I mean, I've been made redundant twice in economic downturns because I didn't prove enough of my value. You know, I was a um, European training manager as I was back in you know 2007 when the crash happened. And yeah, I was literally first out the door. Mm. Um, and so this is real. I mean, this is yeah. a not this is not a sort of jokey type situation. This is we really do need to demonstrate that we are necessary and we can help, but we can only do that if we look broader. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, so Michelle, if, uh, if people like what they hear and they wish to connect with you or follow your work, how best can they do so? I'm always on Twitter. So find me on Twitter at uh, MIP1608. That's my initials and my birthday. I look forward to the cards. Um, <laughs> you can also find me on LinkedIn, Michelle Perry Slater. I'm fortunate to have a unique name on LinkedIn. So you can find me on there as well. Um, but the book also has a website. So the L&D handbook dot um, com. And you can connect with me through that as well. Thanks so much for having me on and talking about it. It's been such an interesting conversation, David. You're, you're very welcome, Michelle. We'll put links to uh, to uh, your socials and uh, and the book on uh, the show notes. But uh, always left for me to say, Michelle, is thank you for, uh, for being a guest on the Learning and Development podcast. It's been a pleasure. As Michelle mentioned, it's the perfect time for L&D to step up, have better conversations and confidently seek to address the friction people are experiencing in their work. And the L&D handbook is a useful guide for this, so treat yourself to a copy. If this conversation has whet your appetite for good quality L&D chat and you'd like to get involved, you can now join the L&D Collective, of which I'm an active member. Join me and hundreds of L&D peers via the link to the L&D Collective in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning and connect on LinkedIn, for which you'll find links in the show notes. And goodbye for now.